The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek to Supernatural and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. For this episode, we're going to wrap up our discussion about all things soaps with a discussion about nighttime dramas. And I have with me Carla. So it's just going to be Carla and I discussing this. It'll be kind of like an interview style, that back and forth that I enjoy doing every once in a while. So we're going to be delving into teen dramas and adult dramas and stuff. And it should be a lot of fun and a pretty light discussion. But before we get into that, just a couple of housekeeping notes. Of course, we are taking listener support now for as little as 99 cents a month to $9.99 a month. You can help the show as well as helping one Black Lives Matter organization per month. So if you'd like to help the show, please feel free to click on listener support in the show notes or go to our anchor page and click listener support there. And also we have our Redbubble store. So if you need a new mask, a new mug, a magnet, just a sticker, please head over there and grab one with our new design. I just, I love the design so much. I think you'll find some cool stuff over there. And once again, 50% of what we see from that will also go to one Black Lives Matter organization per month. Okay, so let's go ahead and have Carla introduce herself and tell me one thing in pop culture you're into right now. Well, this week, I'm all about a book that I'm reading called The Immortalists. And it's really... It's fascinating. It's about a set of siblings who visits a uh, th- this woman in New York, and she tells them all the date on which they're going to die. So then they are living their lives kind of, you know, like, is this really going to happen? You know, what's what will I do with my time? And there's a lot of of, you know, finding yourself and tragedy and moments of happiness and then how do you reconcile having this knowledge with still trying your best to be the best you that you can be or the happiest you that you can be in that time it's it's a lot and there are parts that are pretty heavy but it's totally worth the read in my opinion um and I'm also obsessed with my new coffee cup that I bought from the fandom thing pod store which features the logo that I love so much. Thank you. Yes. And the photo, you can go to our Twitter page and see the photo because it's so cute and beautiful <laughs> and gorgeous. And I'm serious about you modeling every single one. Because <laughs> it was just such a great photo. So 
Well, yeah. Thank you. I am happy to model <laughs> anything you want anytime. <laughs> okay, I'm seriously going to take you up on that. But <laughs> And this is Erin. And what I'm into also involves reading. It's funny because I don't think we've had very many book or reading recommendations on the show, just like music. It's kind of odd. But yesterday in the mail, um, I got a copy of Josh Rubin's script for the movie Scare Me, which I've recommended before a couple times on this podcast. It's on Shutter; It's still there. And he made these bound copies of it because he's someone who embraces his fans like really, really big time. I mean, not in a creepy way. I didn't mean that to sound weird. <laughs> He won't physically come to your house and yeah. hug you without your consent. That's not what she means. No, 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 no. <laughs> He's just He just really is very appreciative of the fact that people love this movie so much. So he made these bound copies. They're really pretty. And they have, like, the cover and the back are very suited to, if you've seen the movie, they fit the movie. And he wrote, like, little notes for each one. So I'm really excited to read that. I know some people don't like reading screenplays necessarily because they're like, oh, what's the point of reading this when you can see it? But I think if you're a writer, especially, and especially if you're a screenwriter, I think it's very important to read scripts. Both bad and good scripts, honestly, but reading really good scripts helps because then you can see, okay, what can I learn from this? Um, and so I'm really excited to read it to see sort of if there was anything different or his structure, his style. So I'm excited to get started on that. So that's what's making me happy. We're doing a new thing on the show where every Thursday we're going to post and ask you what you are recommending um, and what shows and books, mu- music, whatever it is that you're into. And if you reply and give us some, you'll get like a shout out on the podcast. And so I just want to give a couple of mentions. Um, uh, Washington Irving is really into WandaVision, which, as I said, I don't have Disney Plus yet. So and I know I need to get Disney Plus and I will someday. Um, and then we've got Alice, who is a big fan of the show. She's always liking everything Michelle's right and retweeting and stuff and she's watching crazy ex-girlfriend which i still have never watched that show either i don't know if you watch that show carla oh i love that show yeah but that's i, I someday someday i will watch it <laughs> and, and um melissa who's been on this show before she's ra- watching bridgerton which is of course a very popular one that people are talking about just keep a look out for that on thursdays on instagram and on Twitter, and I want to give a shout out to the other Aaron who has been handling our Instagram. And our Instagram is a thousand times better than it ever has been before because Instagram confuses me so much and it doesn't confuse her. So I just want to shout out to her. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into nighttime soaps. Um, and we're, we're going to break this down into just kind of talking first about teen and young adult dramas and then adult dramas. So I'm going to start with one that with teen dramas, I really think, at least for me, when you think of a teen soap opera, the first one that actually pops into my head is 90210, (laughs) which of course was Beverly Hills 90210, but everybody just knows it by 90210. So Carla, you watched 90210, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like from when it started airing. And let me tell you, I was... I don't even remember how old I was. All I know that that I, I wasn't old enough to be allowed to stay up to watch it. And then when my parents watched it, they were like, yeah, you're not old enough, period. Um, 
but I still watched it and I still got caught up in it because it's just, you know, like I know these are these kids and they're going through all of this teen drama, but they're like pretty glamorous for kids. You know, they, they're out in Beverly Hills. Like the very first scene, as I recall, is the um, the Jenny Garth character showing up with a new nose because she had just had plastic surgery over the summer. And it's, you know, you, you get your introduction to Brenda and Brendan. And, you know, eventually you see Luke Perry and it's like, oh, Luke Perry, oh my God. Which kicked off, a you know, an obsession that, you know, may he rest in peace, but it's never going to go away. <laughs> and the thing with Beverly Hills 90210 is that it was an important show for me in my formative years. Because without it, how would I have known to have thoroughly unrealistic expectations about what high school would should be like for me? <laughs> like, I would have just gone into high school thinking that I would just being my normal self not that I would suddenly become like blossom into this you know absolute magnet for our all boys good and bad you know like and then none of these things happened for me and I was like you know maybe if I had known then what I know now which is that um I didn't need to be sad about not being white thin and wealthy maybe my high school experience could have gone a lot better <laughs> but but it was still such a fun show to watch there were so many just trippy things that happened and I mean certainly not as trippy as the the teen dramas that followed it Mm -hmm. Um, but this was like the absolute trailblazer for teen nighttime dramas because there were so many like adult themes and um, and so many like PSAs built into the show that you know you're watching this and you're like oh my god it's such good acting and wow this is really brilliant storytelling and then you grow up and you watch it and you're like oh wow okay this was really just hammy and heavy-handed but you ate it up as a kid um i just i really loved it and you know obviously the character i related to the most was andrea and that was i think mostly because the actress was in her 30s when she played her and of course (laughs) i would relate to like the old one that just, you know, like I was uh, confusing age and innate maturity, but that's okay. <laughs> Still works for me. <laughs> yeah, I I related to her too, and I was I was actually a Brandon and Andrea Shipper for a long time. I wanted me them too. together so. <laughs> I was like, Brandon, she's so cool and smart. How can you not see that? I know. And I thought for the longest, I mean, they kind of got together in some weird way for like two minutes. Right. And I really thought that's what the show would have ended up doing, but they lost interest in that. I think it's because they kind of just tossed her aside as not being as glamorous and as important as as <laughs> um, the other characters like Brenda and... You know, why am I forgetting her name? Kelly. <laughs> like, it just came to Kelly. me like, Kelly, I right? I wanting to say <laughs> Jenny because that's the name of the actress. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was like, the, the Jenny Garth character. Yeah, you all know who she is. <laughs> and, you know, you, of course, had, you know, with Luke Perry, he was like the James Dean of our generation. I really yeah. think that's the way people looked at him. And I was also, I was always more of a Jason Priestley fan as far as looks went. But I still liked Luke Perry, too. But I like I had a friend who had she had like um, pillow covers with the characters. From <laughs> 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 and 
And I mean, that's the way that show was for us. It was like you had the posters you made. I mean, I found old letters from um, one of our friends who she wrote. And she's like, I didn't get to watch 90210. Oh, my God. What happened? <laughs> Got to tell me what happened. Because back then it was a little bit different if you missed a show than it is right. now. <laughs> you couldn't just like, go on, on but... YouTube. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she, and I just remember that, how upset she was. And, you know, I didn't live this kind of life. I didn't live with a lot of money and glamour and everything like that, but I was, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) but I was obsessed for a long time with like LA and what all that glitz and glamour and Hollywood and all that meant. So it was kind of like watching that, but it was so unrealistic and it was such a weird thing to put on young girls to watch something like that because it was so vapid and even though they tried to do deep storylines like the friend who accidentally shot himself with the gun and all sorts of stuff and it would try to get deeper and deeper and then it got crazier and crazier and of course it had the offshoot of it which was um Melrose Place. Thank you, Melrose Place, which I never got into Melrose Place, but that was kind of like an offshoot of it, of course. And that was even, you know, trashier. It became real trash. I'm not saying (laughs) it was ever highbrow entertainment, but it became. No, but this whole genre was just like a cesspool of awful ideas, but they were really watchable, awful ideas. Yeah, it was kind of like watching people that are in reality television now. And watching like a fictionalized, even though reality TV is fictionalized a lot of times. But it was kind of like that because this came out, I believe, before even the real world came out. So it was kind of like this, you know, we're going to take who would become reality stars in the future. Like you would see these characters would end up on a reality show. (laughs) For sure. Especially like Brenda. Donna would probably be a, it would be, it'd be like <laughs> the real it would be the real housewives of Beverly Hills would be these characters 100% I could see that happening mm-hmm. yeah so then was so then I know Andrea was your favorite so then who was your favorite male then all around I think okay I was hugely into Brandon because I just really thought that he was just more I don't know. He, he seemed more on the up and up, you know, like I, I didn't growing up. I didn't like the guys who were all mysterious and broody I, I, to bang for sure. But like maybe not to hang out with. Like I have standards. <laughs> to bang for sure. <laughs> I wouldn't want to spend significant time with them, please. <laughs> but yeah, I, he just seemed like a more serious person. He seemed to take things that I valued more seriously, which is why like it was devastating to me that he falls for for Kelly. I was like, but mm-hmm. but look at her. Like she's trash. You know, like love me. I mean Aunt Andrea instead. <laughs> I mean I'm, oops, oops, Freudian slip there. No. <laughs> well that's I mean, the for, way I felt too, yeah. Yeah. I mean for sure, um Luke Perry, whose character I cannot remain remember like Dylan. Dylan, thank you. Oh my gosh, yes. Dylan, I the first moment I laid eyes on him, I was like, oh, like my heart stopped and I had like all of these inexplicable sweats and like, you know, tingles in places that I didn't know I had. But so again, the the banging, yes, let's do that. But the, you know, everything else was was Brandon for a while. 
Yeah, the deep, meaningful relationship you were going yes. would be with Brandon. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, I always liked dark and mysterious, which is something you shouldn't necessarily like. Um, <laughs> not that Brandon didn't have his problems because, you know, he was kind of a self-righteous ass in a lot of ways. Um, That's how I like him. Yeah. <laughs> Righteous. That's funny. But yeah, I was always his fan. And the character I liked the least male-wise was Steve. Oh, oh, he was the worst. And Steve. <laughs> he was such a douchebag. Like, I was just, first of all, why does there need to be one? And then I realized when I actually got to high school, I was like, oh, because 90% of them are Steves. That that's makes so true. much sense. Yes, that's very, very true. And, um... He was very, oh God, douchebag, um, douchey magoo, douche, just douchebag <laughs> completely. And I hated watching him. And he, to me, he was not attractive at all. Sorry to Ian, but you weren't very attractive to me. But I'm not a big blondes person usually anyway. So, yeah, he he was just, he did absolutely nothing. But you're true. But you're true. You're right that you do realize that most high school guys are Steve's. There's some guys who pretend they're Brandons, but they're not really. And then there are the Dylans, of course. Um, but <laughs> yeah. And I always wanted Peach Pit. I just want to mention that really quickly because I always wanted a place like the Peach Pit. And I had places that I hung out. I had coffee shops mainly. But I wanted a Peach Pit style place because I think for some reason during our youth, 50s stuff was kind of romanticized in this weird world, oh weird, weird yeah, way. Like- and 60s were huge they were yeah Yeah, because there were so many diners I remember growing up that there were like so many like 50s and 60s themed diners where uh like you know you go and the menus are replicas of that era and everything like that like even in on on the show Friends there was a diner where Monica worked that was like a 50s style diner like that was like a big thing and I wanted a peach pit too. I thought that would be like amazing. The best, the closest that I got was a Wendy's that was like in front of the school. So we would go <laughs> after school, and these two friends and I would like would get and share a pack of of big fries, and then we would go to the to the Family Dollar next door and buy cans of of Coke. Oh, we would get Crystal Pepsi as a matter of fact. Oh, Crystal Pepsi! Oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it was not good either. I loved it. Maybe it's okay. I did not have the taste back then though. So like don't don't read into like don't go looking for crystal Pepsi just because I loved it. I had terrible gastronomical pleasures back then. Well, I mean, do you remember the um pop um Joda Joda Joe why did I say Joda? Where the Dagum Rum (laughs) Joe? Jeans and soda. I remember hearing about it, but I I had been told that it got you kind of like high. And so I was like, oh, no. So I avoided it like the plague. Well, it had, it was so gross and it had so much caffeine. And I remember I did this play back in like 2004 and it was this very different version of like, it was a Christmas play called um, Eight Reindeer Monologues. And just look it up. It's all about Santa's on trial for um, sexually abusing the reindeer. 
Oh my it's very God. yeah, it's a very dark comedy. And I play dancer. I played dancer in it. And I played dancer as kind of this ditzy girl um who actually is really deep underneath it all and all this other stuff. But I had her be kind of 80s and she had jolt. So I had to drink jolt on stage every night because I was able to find a six pack of it and I had to make sure I only drank one and it was the grossest thing in the world. <laughs> so I will never drink one again. The <laughs> things that you will do for your craft. Yes. It was <laughs> awful though. Oh my God. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> we went on a weird tangent here. But <laughs> we, we had our peach pit was Gunther Tooties, which is still around today. And they were like a chain and it's, they had uh, jukeboxes on every table and all the waitresses and waiters would have like a bunch of like, you know, like, like from um, office space where they have all the different flair oh, with all flare. the different pins and stuff. They'd have that. And it was just the coolest funnest place to go and you'd get malts and all that kind of stuff and later on it was mainly I hung out at coffee shops but that was the place that was like the peach pit um well I wanted to briefly before we move on from this because I think a lot of the other shows we're going to talk about the teen ones were kind of in response to this one like wanting to yeah. go against this one um but I want to mention David and Donna because to me they were supposed to be kind of like the sugary sweet characters especially donna which of course her big thing was she was the virgin ooh, right. on the show and that was the big thing with her and of course a lot of people said that was probably because tori spelling was aaron spelling's daughter so people thought that's probably why but did you have any thoughts on donna and david and yeah it's you know it's interesting to me because in so much media uh you know like i, I couldn't pinpoint when everything started but we went from um shaming women who felt in control of their bodies and just used their bodies for their own pleasure to shaming women who wanted to wait for whatever reason they wanted to before they had sex and um but also deifying them so there's like this absolute weird duality of upholding virginity while also um shaming the person who wants that in their life and that seemed like very true with donna where it's like oh she's the glowing virgin she's like you know all of these things she's like the most innocent one she's the most quote-unquote cute one and uh the one with the, the fewest awful problems um and david he was he was the youngest cast member so he was like you know, he has this little baby face and um, so also innocent in his own way and very sweet. And they had this big romance and they were they weren't central to the show. They were, they tried to be shoehorned in, which I thought was hilarious because like neither one of them was particularly a good actor. But <laughs> like you watch back and, and you're like, they let yeah. them be on the show. And then you find out that one of them is related to the the creator and you're like oh makes sense mm -hmm. got that but so like the, this whole build up to her to her first time where it's like th they're devoting you know episodes to build up to it and then to the moment itself and it, it was just gross you know like i it i didn't know why i was uncomfortable with it for a long time but as i got older i realized oh it's this whole thing where um among your 
your schoolmates, it's this hilarious point of trivia that, oh, she's the virgin. She's the one who's never gotten laid. Um, but then that's something that's considered a great thing among the grownups who are trying to, like, make you the example for the other kids, even though they were probably having unwedded sexual relations <laughs> when they were children. So, yeah, like, all of this, like, high-minded stuff just to just say, it was weird. <laughs> it was, yeah. A lot of shaming went on. Um, and a shaming on both sides, but it was just this weird thing where it was kind of like, they were like, okay, we've got to have one of the really hot, quote-unquote, hot girls not be uh, promiscuous at all or not want to have sex with people or not at all. At all. So... Um, or wanting to wait or wanting to be more pure. So we're going to take her and make her be this more pure person and hold her up on this pedestal a little bit. And I, and then they also had on the flip side, they had with, with Andrea, they were kind of doing a different way of showing it where it was like, she was like the smarty goody two shoes. So of course she wasn't going to have sex yet. So it was like Donna still went and had fun and was all about looks and, you know, wearing the right clothes and the right outfits and fitting in. And then Andrea was like, she was from the wrong side of the tracks and she was the one who was always studying and working and doing all that stuff. So you had like these diff two different versions of showing a virgin in a way. Right. I don't know if you saw that, but it was kind of the way they were, I don't know, expressing it because – well, Andrea because, was also like that. So yeah, but it was interesting because like the only excuses to be a virgin were, were that you were a career-minded business lady, yeah. like the like that that kind of feminist who doesn't need a man, <laughs> or you were just too pure and innocent for this world, and therefore, you know, you had to be the, the Madonna. Yes, yeah, but not the exactly. not the the singer Madonna clearly, but like the <laughs> the religious Madonna. Yes, yes, you're either the Madonna or the whore. Yeah. I mean, for lack of a better word, I'm trying to remember what was that, what was, where does that quote come from where guys either want you to be the Madonna or the whore? I can't, I can't remember. Yeah. So it was like, and Kelly was the one who slept around a lot more and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I grew to like Kelly a little bit more as the show went on. Um, but she was never one of my favorites, but I grew to appreciate her a little bit more. I kind of like the actress. Jenny Garth. Um, but yeah, and, and I think probably the biggest um, scandals or the biggest gossip would always revolve around, of course, Shannon Doherty and her big things and, and you know, clashing with the cast and everything like that. And um, do you have any thoughts on that? I know it's kind of like a gossipy thing to talk about, but I just think it's weird to talk about this show and not mention it for some reason. Oh, no, for <laughs> sure. Because, you know, like, I think that a lot of the fascination with the show came because, you know, these are people who are playing teens and you're in the the time of uh, of our lives where you're starting to kind of get into the Internet and, you know, AOL and chat rooms and all of these things. And you're combining that with the the gossip magazines and everything that that brings with it. And so there's like a lot more stuff flying around that you're being exposed to. And it's like a game of telephone where by the time that it gets to you, it's this big outsized story. Um, and I, I, I think that, you know, certainly there are a lot of 
possibilities for why she may not have been getting along with the cast that we're just not privy to. I never really looked looked into it, but it seemed to me from from something that I was handed through the grapevine <laughs> that that there were maybe issues that she was having where she was un, un, unhappy that were valid issues that were not taken seriously and then maybe uh, valid problems that the cast was having with her. But I, I just feel like in the end, it's it's maybe one of those things where a woman who complains is painted as the the villain in her own story where she's trying to, I don't know, bring attention to something or have something fixed. And she's she becomes the bad guy unnecessarily. So I don't know, like there was just so much weirdness to it. But I, I, I just, I, I don't think that she's necessarily like the evil person that she was painted to be in the end. Yeah, and I think even the cast and everyone kind of has said that since then, or kind of come out about that. Because um, yeah, that's very true. It was very much, you know, we're gonna have the, um, sorry, but the bitch of the cast is, I think, what they kind of wanted to do. Um, because women like to be, women are painted in certain lights. And if a woman is strong and speaks out and speaks her mind and doesn't care what anyone's going to think about her, then she's going to be painted in a different light. And whether it be that she did anything that was wrong or not, um, she came off as a very strong, independent thinker. And that's not very welcome in Hollywood or in society in general. And so I think that's a lot of where the issues came up with her. Um, and I think when she went on to do stuff like Charmed and even when they rebooted 90210 not too long ago, which I tried to watch that and it was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Um, but when they went to do that, I think she was somewhat involved in that and it was this weird kind of tongue in cheek thing. And so I, I, I just think it was kind of sad. It's kind of like you have to pick – I think this happens on a lot of shows you have to pick the person that's going to be the bad person bad guy um and unfortunately that's the role that she fell into because she happened to speak out a lot or she happened to have different ideas and thoughts and her own mind and stuff so that's my opinion on it um but i just thought it would be weird if we didn't mention her at all because it's just kind of a big part i mean she was such a big deal like she was not like some to me, I feel like it bears mentioning because she was no small part of the fascination with 90210 in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And plus, she herself is like almost a cult figure in a way, the actress. And I mean, she was in one of the biggest cult movies, Heather's. So, and I think in a way, kind of playing off of that in Heather's, um, you know, the whole perception of herself. So, I don't know. So I just think I I think it's very interesting. And I would love to know the real story because I'm sure the way they painted her wasn't always the truth. Um, So I'd I'd be interested. But I think what happened is you had this show, 90210, that was mainly rich people. And it was the really, really rich people, not just rich, but really rich and really successful and really well off. Perfectly beautiful white people running around with all their money, except for Andrea, of course, because she was on the wrong side of the tracks. So you had to have one character in there like that. And so I think you had a lot of teen shows that came out kind of that were supposed to be more serious. 
and not as fake and not as wrapped up in looks and stuff. And so you had, I think, one of the first ones um, before even the WB. I think My So-Called Life was kind of a show that came about that was supposed to be completely the opposite of this and was supposed to be a lot more real. And I know that came out when I was in high school. So that to me was a lot more reflective of what high school was like than 90210 really was. Right. (laughs) A lot more. And we're going to do a whole show later on this year about My So-Called Life because frankly, I think that is one of the best shows that was ever on TV. I think it deserved a lot more seasons. I think it was such a shame that that show ended when it did. And I think if we had social media back then, it would have been saved and picked up by somebody. Um, But I just want to briefly just ask, did you watch, I know this wasn't on the outline, but did you watch my so-called life? I watched parts of it. And I think that I was part of the problem because it was too real. And I wanted cotton candy, glossy things that were distracting from real. Yeah. And this didn't really cut it for me. So I was like, nope, can't deal. (laughs) So I was part of the problem, Erin. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's okay. Well, I also, I think really the big problem with my so-called life, not just ratings wise, was people didn't want to have a show on TV that was so realistic about teenagers and where teenagers were being shown for who they really were. And the fact that, you know, that was the first show to ever feature an openly gay teen character. And that was pretty remarkable. And that was Ricky Vasquez, Mm -hmm. if you didn't know already. Um, (laughs) And so to have that and to have a a character like Ricky, who Ricky was always seen in the women's bathroom hanging out with Angela and everything. And it was just, you didn't normally... That wasn't something that you would normally see on a television show. And it was awesome to see. And because, you know, that was very fitting of the life that I led as a teenager and the friends I had. And so it was really great to see that reflected back. And the fact that you also had him end up, spoilers, Carla, since I don't know if you got to this point. But after he finally came out, you know, he was living a very, very sad life. And he was not in a stable home environment. And he ended up moving in with his English teacher who happened to also be gay living with another man and hadn't come out yet. And so I'm sure if the show had gone on, there would have been something that would have come out about that mm-hmm. um, later on. And, you know, people sadly thinking, oh, that must mean something bad is going on there. But it was just it just pushed so many boundaries that hadn't been pushed then that I just think it was just such a special special show and I've watched it since then and it still is as good as ever and I still sad to say still love Jordan Catalano I know he was a (laughs) jerk I know that and we won't even get into what a jerk Jared Leto is in real life but I still loved Jordan Catalano (laughs) we all have our jerks that we can't let go that's okay we all have uh, have these people that we just you know, why do we love them? Who knows? Let me embrace the awful person. Exactly, exactly. Because he was just like, that was the guy that I always fell for. Always, always was that guy. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But of course, the other ones, and we're also going to be covering the WB. We're going to be covering that coming up in May. So that'll be a lot of fun. I believe it's May. Um, no, I think it's a little bit later. Sorry. Um, and so we're going to be talking in depth about Dawson's Creek and One Tree Hill and stuff. Because I think those were also in response to 90210. And those were more like late 90s shows, early 2000s. So it was a little bit different. And with those shows, you had a lot of people that were supposed to be more real, um, supposed to have more agency, supposed to not be so glamorous. So I want to briefly mention these. And I also really want to give Carla a chance when she feels like it to talk about the amazing, wonderful Chad Michael Murray. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I am very ready for this moment that I have been preparing for since the first time I saw him on television and immediately wanted to punch him in the face because I think that the reason he plays jerk so well is because he is a jerk. Like, I, I, so I think he's, it's from lived experience. So he's using his own life to inform these characters. So that's why it comes out so effortlessly, effortlessly for him. But even, you know, on One Tree Hill, he's the protagonist pretty much. And I couldn't stand him almost anytime he was on screen. Just, you know, even when, when he's making sad faces, I'm like, you look like you're just being so fake right now. Like, you don't really have the good feelings in you, you awful monster. <laughs> I just, I, I've never liked him. I'm, I'm currently watching um, Gilmore Girls and he's in it. And, you know, this is one of those shows that Meg is forcing me to watch. And she didn't, I think she purposely didn't mention that he was in it so that I would just watch it and then be surprised and be like, well, I'm already watching it, but this is a black mark on our relationship because how dare she? I am now so upset. Um, But I I just, you know, it's this this longstanding thing where anything Chad Michael Murray is in, I just, oh, I can't stand him. I did like One Tree Hill, though. The show itself, I was pretty into for a while. And I think that's because mostly because of the the other characters. I loved Nate. I loved um, whoever it is that Sophia Bush plays because I think she's amazing in pretty much anything that she's in. I, I just, I really love her. Um, Bethany Joy Lentz, who was kind of the Joey of One Tree Hill. <laughs> like Katie Holmes is like the, the Joey of Dawson's Creek. But I, I think that they started... Um, following these templates that 90210 set up where you have the the hot but possibly bad boy from the wrong side of the tracks you have the the rich and coddled goodish guy that you're not really sure is he actually good but he seems really like prim and da 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 you have the the blonde bombshell type who comes in and you know ruins the the love triangle and then you have the the little sister type where you know um oh wow suddenly you realize oh she's so beautiful how did i not see her under my nose this whole time and you know of course in 90210's case nothing could happen between brenda and brenda because they're siblings they're (laughs) twins in fact and that would have been unbelievably gross but you take away the the blood relations factor in dawson's creek and then you have dawson and joey so that that chemistry was really interesting um you know like so many people hate on Dawson I really like Dawson I thought he was he was a a perfectly nice character like I I was (laughs) 
<laughs> I really did not like Pacey at first because he was just so cocky and really uh he just rubbed me the wrong way even though I love Joshua Jackson I've always loved him and you know back from like Mighty Ducks and everything I was just like he was in Mighty Ducks he's my dude it's okay and he you know went to went on to do so many other shows in which I liked him better but Pacey grew on me I could never decide between shipping Pacey and Joey or Dawson and Joey. So in the end, I just gave up the whole thing. <laughs> if you could see the look on Aaron's face, she just <laughs> has this look of, Carla, get off my show now. Friendship ended. How dare you? How very dare you? And all I can say to that is, I can't blame you. This is one of those things where apparently unanimously I have made the wrong choice. I stand by my choice of not knowing what to do with myself about this love triangle. Um, in part because I didn't finish the show, I think. And I just kind of hopped back into it in the last couple of episodes. And I was like, whoa, 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 what happened here? Like, what, What's going on? Um, and Jen's storyline, I, I, I didn't know what to do because I was just like, Ah, she's coming and she's blowing up my love triangle. Um, no, my my uh, my OTP for the show, like when she came on in the early seasons, and then she became a more interesting character. And I was like, oh, I don't think I hate her. I still kind of don't like her. I don't know. But yeah, so, but <laughs> this whole tangent that I've been going on is one can't stand Chad Michael Murray or anything that he does. And two, all of these shows stand on the shoulders of 90210 and the kind of patterns that it laid out for these future teen dramas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I will warn you, if you ever go back to watch Dawson's Creek, Chad Michael Murray shows up in season five. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> well, now I know what season to skip. It's it's not a good season anyway, so you can go ahead and skip it. But is, is it is it bad because Chad Michael Murray shows up? Because I feel like it's probably bad because Chad Michael Murray shows up. Like it's that because, sounds very accurate to me. It's because it's their first season where they're not in high school, so they're in college, and it's bad because number one, um, you don't have Joey and Pacey together, um, and I am a Joey Pacey shipper. They are amazing because Pacey is the best character on Dawson's Creek, hands down. No other character tops him (laughs) for me. Um, I will admit, though, first season, first and second season, I was a Dawson Joey shipper. But then I grew up and realized (laughs) (laughs) Dawson is an arrogant, controlling prick. And I can't stand that guy. And he just wants to control Joey. He just wants to own her. He doesn't really care about her. And Pacey's the opposite of that. So although they did try to ruin Pacey a little bit in season four, didn't work. But yeah, so that's that's part of the reason season five is bad. And, and uh, one good part about season five, I would say, is it's interesting watching Joey um, kind of change a little bit and grow a little bit. Um, and I think it's in season six when Jensen Ackles comes along. Um, and he plays, he's, he's in it, so that's a plus. Yeah, well, you know, kind of makes up for the whole Chad Michael Murray. Yeah, well, Chad Michael Murray is not in season six, just in season five. Good. I think he left 
that and then went to One Tree Hill. I think it was One Tree Hill started right after that. So yeah, yeah. And he's he's a he's a slime ball in Dawson's Creek. <laughs> what? I am shocked. I'm sorry. Give me a moment to collect myself. Because I am in utter <laughs> shock at the fact that Chad Michael Murray played a sleaze ball. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, that's it's pretty funny. But season six of Dawson's Creek has one of my favorite episodes, probably my favorite episode of the whole series called Castaways. And it's just Pacey and Joey, just them. And they get locked inside like a Kmart. And I know it sounds cheesy and ridiculous, but it's one of those where they're not together at the time. And it's just, it's so much fun. And if you like those stuck in a place and can't leave tropes, that's it, one of my favorite fanfic tropes. Oh, yes. Then you would love it. It's such a good episode. It's so much fun. I just love the two of them together. Um, but I think with Dawson's Creek and One Tree Hill, I think One Tree Hill did this insanely more, was music was such a big focus of these two shows. Any WB show they had, music was like this big thing. And One Tree Hill, the one thing with One Tree Hill that always drove me nuts, because I actually didn't watch it when it first came out. I watched it later a little bit. And I will admit, I do agree. Chad Michael Murray is scummy and sleazy and icky. Yay. But I will, much to my shame, admit that even though Lucas is a prick and a judgmental, arrogant douche, I really did like Lucas and Peyton together. (laughs) (laughs) And I shipped them. I, I, I know it's horrible, but I admit it. I did. I shipped them together. Um, and yes, I loved Brooke. I did love Brooke. I was really grateful with One Tree Hill. I will say to their credit, I think it was really awesome that they never, ever had Lucas and Haley get together. The fact that it was yeah. just a friendship and it was never even hinted at. Nothing ever happened. I will forever be grateful to the show for doing that because I think that's very rare to have like an actual male female friendship that never goes anywhere else. And it would have been That's icky true. and weird if it did. So I will give them a major, like major so props. So many shows push that because they're like, well, it's expected. So we just got to go there and then duck back out. And you don't have to go there at all. It's perfectly normal for people to have friendships with people of different genders. Like, what is the big deal? Why do we need to uh, make everything sexy and, um, you know, borderline porny just for the sake of doing it, you know, <laughs> I just, it, it just never makes sense. Like, yeah. Like, you know, it, it's like, Oh, Oh, they disappeared for five seconds. Where do they go? <laughs> but yeah, I, I fully agree with you. They, I, I definitely needed to see that because I had so many friends who were guys, mm-hmm. um, particularly after college, I think. And that's because I didn't have a lot of friends in high school. <laughs> it's not a sad story. I, I was perfectly happy with the ones that I did have. But I had so many guy friends after college. And it just, nothing ever reflected that experience, really, where they don't end up like when Harry met Sally. They don't end up hooking up or getting together. And that's great, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, same for me. I had a lot of male friends. And we would hang out all the time. And we would... It would just be us and we'd go out all the time and, you know, hang out at each other's houses and, you know, and we were really close and, um, you know, we were physical in the way you would be with a friend. We'd hug each other and, 
be intimate in that way, but it was intimate on the level of a friendship. And it was guys that I would never imagine ever hooking up with because it would have been just kind of icky, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I also had a lot of gay male friends and I will put that in the same category because I, because, you know, I, it doesn't matter. They're men. So I had a lot of gay male friends too. Um, and that was wonderful as a woman. It was very wonderful to have that intimate relationship with a man where there wasn't any of that sexual tension as well. I will say that, but it was great. I would go out with my friend and my other male friend who was straight and we would go to the, to a gay bar and my straight male friend was fine going to a gay bar, which was awesome because it was never like this, like, Ooh, this is going against my masculinity. But anyway, it was just, it was always nice to have that. It would be, sometimes I'd be the only girl and I'd be hanging out with all guys. I used to go and play poker uh, every weeknight at this bar, we'd play Texas Hold'em and nine times out of 10, I'd be one of the only women there playing. And I never felt uncomfortable or weird about it or any kind of sexual tension or anything like that. I was just like, they're just my friends who happen to have different anatomy. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't matter really, you know, and I, and I just found the older I got, I actually ended up having more female friends once I got out of my 20s, I would say, is when I started having more female friends than male friends. But before that, I was always hanging out with a lot of men and going out with a lot of men. And I never had an issue with it. I don't know. It never was a sexual thing, um, you know. So so I'm glad they had that on there. But I will say one thing that always drove me crazy, though, about One Tree Hill, aside from Chad Michael Murray, is the music. And the fact that they couldn't have one scene without music in the background. It's just so ridiculous. It's like every scene practically in that show throughout the whole show, every season, they have to have constantly have music. And I love music. But when you're relying on it so heavily to get across what mood you're supposed to be in when you're watching a scene, how you're supposed to feel about the characters in the scene, that to me just is like, okay, get over it. That's enough. We don't need more. Let yeah, us think know, for ourselves. <laughs> I feel like, like that was a thing in that period of time in general where so many shows really relied heavily on musical cues and I'm playing a pop song that related to the moment. And it's, uh, it was, which shows, okay, Scrubs, for example, used music a lot. And I love music. And that I got so many, you know, like, great songs from this. And, you know, I found great artists by by looking up the songs that they used afterwards and everything. But it is exhausting because I just want to hear what they're saying and just enjoy the emotion of it without having all this heavy prompting. And one thing, though, is that that realization didn't come until much later for me because... Growing up in Mexico, watching telenovelas, everything has a musical cue. Like there, there are musical cues for for fear, for anger, for for everything, pretty much. Like there, there just aren't a lot of of huge emotional moments that don't have some musical cue or another. So I didn't pick up on on how weird it was until like the the mid two um, thousands when it started kind of falling away and you started having more shows that just had quiet moments and by the time that you get to um to schmidt's creek 
where <laughs> where there just isn't almost any music or musical cueing and it's just so refreshing to just enjoy the moment without having that lead you into anything it's it's the script is great the acting is great you don't really need much more than that and so i started watching older shows again that are from the era in which i grew up and that I, that really formed a lot of of my tastes and who i was at the time and it becomes glaring now listening to it where i was like wow i can't believe i ever tolerated this mm-hmm. but yeah like it, it's exactly what you're saying that it's it's a lot and they really went over the top with it and there was really no good reason other than this is just what they were doing at the time and it felt like like they needed to because all of the other shows were doing it and I'm glad that that's kind of gone away because oh my god yeah yeah it yeah and and I really think One Tree Hill was the worst about it I mean they just really were it was just like another character in the show and it just it just got aggravating and aggravating and I was like I wonder what this scene would play like if you didn't have this music I wonder if it'd be a better scene or, you know, I wonder if then you would realize, God, Chad Michael Murray, he really can't act. I mean, you already <laughs> think he can't act, but maybe that's why they had the music on so much. It's like, oh, man, our leading character is an awful actor. What can we do to fix this? They're overcompensating. For yes. <laughs> <laughs> this oh, really good music and just kind of drown him out and that should do it. Well, I don't think we'll ever have him as a guest on this show. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm cool with it. Me too. That would be very <laughs> Sorry, Chad Michael Murray fans. Go elsewhere for your positive Chad Michael Murray content. And I just, I mean, granted, I don't know their whole story, but the way he treated Sophia Bush, I just, I just think he's just a sleaze bucket, man. Like that only starts to confirm it, you know, like that horrible thing that I don't know if anybody else does it. Maybe I'm just the most horrible human being on the planet. But when you first see somebody and you form an impression of, of them and then they do something that cements and validates that impression and you feel horrible for the people that it affected. But inside you're like, I knew I was right. <laughs> So, yeah, like, I had that awful, guilty feeling of being like, Sophia, if you had just listened to me. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I, I had that where I was like, I changed my mind on an actor recently. And then I was like, why did I change my mind on that actor? I was right about that actor all along. I've already <laughs> mentioned it before. But, yeah, I'm just like, what? I was right. I knew this person was a horrible person. <laughs> It is true. You have those, you know, and then you have other ones where you're like, oh, that person's actually a really cool person. And I didn't think they were a nice person. (laughs) You know, that's what happened with with um, James Vanderbeek is I was like, I couldn't stand Dawson so much that it clouded me seeing him. And then I remember, um, well, the first one was actually rules of the movie rules of attraction, which he played a totally different character. His character is actually. In the universe of Brett Easton Ellis, he's actually related to Patrick Bateman. Oh, man. Yeah. So he's like his cousin or nephew. I don't remember. And he's like a real sleazebag in that movie. And so it was a totally different kind of character for him to play. But then what really 
made me change my mind was Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, which was one of the best shows ever. Should have never been canceled. And he played himself. And it was, I love it when actors can laugh at themselves. And that's what he was doing in that whole thing. Just, and so that just made me go, okay, I like you. You're cool. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, we won't really touch on Felicity too much, except for I will say, um, I'm a Ben and Felicity shipper, and I know that'll probably get me a lot of hate. I didn't like <laughs> Noel creeped me out, and so, oh, no. I know, I know, I love Scott Foley now, but I know, I know, I know, and I, I'm, I just, I adore Scott Speedman. I can't explain it. I just adore. <laughs> <him>. So <laughs> that's all I'm going to say about Felicity, unless unless Carlo wants to go, I'm going to defend Noel really quickly, and but <laughs> well, I, you know. You you feel how you feel about Noel. I I am never going to take away somebody's right to be completely incorrect about something. It's you know I I, I defend your right to be incorrect. That's fine. <laughs> I love Scott Foley so much. I love Noel. Like I thought that he was just one of the the sweetest characters. Um, but again, like this was one of those shows that I just didn't finish watching. Just you know, like I think it, it was like during my college years and things got chaotic and I was like oh, I don't have time for this but that and also it introduced me to um Greg Grinberg who is pretty much one of the first people that I was really like wow <laughs> I am so in love with this with this person I don't care anything else you know, like I, I purposely didn't follow him on social media because I don't want anything to change that opinion about him. Because anytime that, that I that I see him in anything, I'm like, oh, it's my husband. I, but yeah, it's sweet. I love he, him. He, he was a, a gift from the heavens, and I'm so glad that J.J. Abrams puts him in everything that he's that he has anything to do with. Did you ever end up watching um, my? Movie, A Star is Born. <laughs> I'm calling it my movie. <laughs> the 2018 yes. one? Yes. yes, I did. Then were you happy when he showed up in that then too? I, I You know, I never care who he plays. I'm just happy to see him. I'm like, and oh. he... <laughs> yeah, like, oh, okay. So you're kind of like a douchebag. That's okay. Hi. I've seen you in other things. So I know that that's not really you, babe. <laughs> well, and of course, in Felicity, you also had Rob Benedict. I don't remember Rob Benedict and Felicity, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I think I was so focused on Scott Foley and Greg Grimberg that I just, you know, there was no room in my eyeballs for anybody else. Everybody else was just like, eh, you're also there, I guess. Amanda Foreman is another one that I was like, oh, hi. I She's Megan great. was the best. Megan was who I wish I could be Megan. I wish I could be more like that in my life. <laughs> Like we're all Felicity striving to be Megan's. Exactly. I'm like, <laughs> like we're not like Felicity because I loved Felicity, but she would drive me nuts sometimes. Yeah. And I'm just like, you drive me nuts because I'm relating to a lot of the stuff you're doing. Exactly. It's like some of the things that, that she did, I was like, those are things that I would probably really want to do. And it's not a healthy thing. Like, you know, she follows this guy to college. I'm like, yeah, that so was <laughs> Like, why would you do that? But, you know. <gasps> yes, I know. I'm, I am see, I know when we do our Felicity show, because we're going to be doing one on Felicity, 
I know I'm going to anger a lot of people because <laughs> I love Ben and I know Ben has issues, but I love Ben. And I wasn't a Ben fan when the show first started. I actually did like Noel. And then the end of season two, I believe it was, or the end of season one, whatever, whenever it was the end of season one, I started shipping them together and I just really liked Ben and I know he's got major issues. I understand but I just love him. Even his whisper talk. I know he just talks. <laughs> I still love him. <laughs> I still think he's just so adorable. And Scott Foley I like now. But Noel ended up reminding me a lot of. Uh, Carla's going to want to kick me when I say this. But started reminding me a lot of Ross from Friends. <laughs> look Oh. I know. I'm and I sorry. Part because, like, I also love Ross. Oh, like, well, there were a lot of things. Oh my gosh! When, when we record the Friends episode, I'm going to have a lot of thoughts. Uh oh, never mind. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, before before we both get into a huge fight, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there were, of course, a bunch of other shows, and we're going to be covering. Like, we're going to talk about the original Roswell, which your host realizes that show was not very good, but your host was obsessed. I mean, obsessed with that show. I had a calendar. Okay. So I loved that show. <laughs> we'll definitely talk about that. We're going to talk about that one. We're probably going to talk about charmed. We're going to revisit Buffy. So that'll be a lot of fun. But before we move on to the adults, I want to just kind of do one that kind of, I think will help us move on to that. And this is one that I didn't watch that much. So I'll just let you talk about it. But Jane the Virgin, what are your thoughts on Jane the Virgin? It was such a special show. It's uh, one of those shows that, first of all, features and highlights Latina women and their lives. Um, it takes, you know, it's set in Miami and I, I live in the Miami area. So a lot of these, the settings and the characters felt familiar. Definitely not the situations because, I mean, it is absolutely telenovela-esque in that the everything is like so huge and so tremendously zany and just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. Just the premise of it. This woman gets pregnant because her doctor um, puts the baster in her with somebody else's sperm that was because she was having... Um, relationship issues and she didn't sleep that well oh my god okay and it only go gets more bonkers from there but it, it really is a special show because it, it covers so much ground it covers things from you know um, women thriving without a male figure in their lives women really uh, embracing who they are learning about who they are, supporting each other in very deep and beautiful ways. Um, Mother-daughter relationships, the how normal it is in Latina culture to live with your grandparents and your parents until you're like, you know, into your 20s and beyond. Um, you also have the amazing Jaime Camille as Rogelio de la Vega. And how everything with him centers around him, but then he grows into such a wonderful, loving father and husband. And he's kind of like everything you aspire to um, to find in a partner. And this love triangle that stretches all the way to the end in a very telenovela way. You know, there are people coming back from the dead. There are people, you know, just 
evil twins and it's 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 bananas but it, it does bridge that gap between the teen era ish and then like the young adult part of one's life because jane when the show starts out she's in her early 20s and she's still like in in a at a point where you kind of can identify with her as a teenager as like somebody that you might recognize as to you know who you might be when you're around that age the jobs that you might have the aspirations that you have as a person um the role that family plays in her life can feel like you know what your family is like but it, it really it's absolutely worth watching if you haven't watched it even if you're not familiar with the telenovela style um and it's also the show that nearly ended and i say this jokingly but it, i'm not sure if i'm joking that nearly ended my friendship with meg because <laughs> we recently recorded an episode about jane the virgin and oh my gosh, like it's never, and, and it's a show that, you know, we love, but we're not like as into, into as we are with other shows, but things got like hairy between us. And it was hilarious because we're just, we're a lot. And it was over the Michael. And then who was the other, who's the other male? Character? Michael and, and Raphael. Okay. I couldn't remember his first name. I knew it started with an R. Yeah. So it was over that. I'm I'm assuming. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll be curious because <laughs> I did watch the first season and I really loved it. And I don't know why I didn't go back to it. I think it was one of those where I just was like, I'll just wait till I can stream all of it, and then it just didn't happen. And so I really should revisit it because um, I remember when people started really liking Michael and Jane together. And I remember when that first started happening, and that was causing a lot of rifts. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of because people. the thing is like. The the OTP for the writer was Jane and Rafael, but it, it has to start out, you know, in their minds, it has to try to start out with relationship drama. And Michael wasn't supposed to be in the show past the first season okay. because the OTP was, so he was supposed to be removed as the obstacle. Um, but people loved Michael so much. And in fact, um, Gina Rodriguez loved, I'm, I'm trying to like anglicize it, Gina Rodriguez <laughs> loved also the character so much and everybody loved Brett, Brett Dyer um, and they're like you know let's just hang on to him for a little while longer and then that became like I think two or three seasons and, and you just I know a lot of people hate him mostly because I'm friends with most of them and they just won't let it go but I think he was really special and I think that their relationship was really magical and the relationship that Michael had with Rogelio, who is Jane's father, was so unique and beautiful that it just really broke my heart when he ends up leaving. I'll put it that way in case, you know, for any spoilers. But yeah, it, it was, I just love him. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting because I remember when I watched it and I was always like, isn't he like the bad guy? guy or he's not supposed <laughs> to be the good guy that you're rooting for her to be with and so I was like I should really tune back into this show just because I was it was just so much realized that later that people were like in shipping wars over those two um, I mean I never saw actual real like friendships break up I'm just totally exaggerating here on it but it just was very interesting to me um, 
to hear about that. So yeah, sometime I'll have to watch it again because I did really enjoy what I did see and I really enjoyed the characters and the actors and I thought everyone had a really good chemistry together. Yeah. So that when people have a good chemistry on screen, even I mean, I'm talking everybody, um, you know, together, it just makes a big difference, I think, in any show working really well. And you have to have that for a show to last beyond a season, I think. Um, You might have one person on there that you don't get along with, but I think you have to have that chemistry there. And they definitely had that from what I saw. So absolutely. Yeah. I'll have to return to it. Okay, well, let's turn on, turn our attention to some adult dramas, and we're going to start with Sisters because of the ones I've listed. This is the one I know the most about, and plus <laughs> it will give me an excuse very soon to rave about someone I very rarely talk about, George Clooney. So, <laughs> <laughs> Carla's covering her face right now. <laughs> I'm, like, dying over here because, like, I feel like 90% of the reason that, that you – put sisters on aside from the fact that we both love it is George Clooney I'm guilty guilty because <laughs> <laughs> I don't I mean I've talked about him before but I haven't gotten to really talk about any shows he's been in or anything like that so yes okay so what are your thoughts on sisters <laughs> what are my thoughts on George Clooney well let me tell you <laughs> Um, Sisters, I started watching long long before George Clooney showed up. I love the dynamic. I love the acting. I love the story. Um, and it's just funny, you know, like, one of the, the kicky things about it is that, oh, it's really cool because it's these sisters and they're, they have boys' names. Oh, look at us being so interesting. But there was so much more to it than that. Like the chemistry between the sisters was so beautiful. And I just loved watching them interact. You have, like, you know, the oldest sister and how she acts towards her siblings. You have, like, the younger ones, the middle one who's, you know, Teddy, who's just very, um, yeah, she's, like, my true love. Like, I had such a crush on her because she was so what I wanted to be. Like, again, you know, I, I, Felicity trying to be a Megan, you know, like, a Carla trying to be a Teddy. That's that's me. Um, I I wasn't in love with the insertion of the um, the extra sibling who came in down the line because I was like, one, why? And two, it just kind of undermines this whole idea of this family who is so loving and together and then suddenly the, the, there's this mysterious other sister from um, a dalliance of their father. It's like, What was the point of that? Like, it didn't make any sense. It just seemed like they ran out of ideas and they're like, ooh, let's throw in some unnecessary drama. But yes, yeah, so we get to Falconer, played by George Clooney. <laughs> and he's, he's, oh, just this, oh, how beautiful were Teddy and Falconer together? Like, they're the most beautiful couple I had ever seen on the screen. They were everything I wanted, and I wanted to find a Falconer of my own because he was such a stand-up guy, and he was so wonderful and interesting and caring, and he had that George Clooney charisma and swagger where, like, he walks in and his head kind of, like, wobbles, and you're you're not sure why. (laughs) So he has a perfectly, perfectly reasonable neck. It's not like a pencil neck. Like, why is his head wobbling so much? But he makes it so sexy. It doesn't look like, like, you know, like... 
you know, maybe he worked out too hard. He has a muscle spasm or something. It's just like sexy George Clooney doing this, his little head wobble, which then he carried into pretty much every role until he stopped doing, eh, not, not the point. <laughs> but, <laughs> but his character, like when, when he was killed off, I was so upset. Like I mourned Falconer's death, possibly more than Teddy did. <laughs> Like, it's one of those shows where, you know, I watched it so long ago that the deeper, there were some things that, that stick out. But the the thing that stayed with me the most was the chemistry between the family members and how wonderful Falconer was for Teddy. Yeah, yeah. And and I will, I'll I'll. I'll talk about the others before I get into my my George Clooney thing because <laughs> just because just be embarrassing. Yeah, it'll be just embarrassing. Um, I loved the sisters too. Um, I loved some of them more than others. Uh, Frankie was probably my least favorite of the four. Um, my favorite, of course, was Teddy because I just I loved Teddy, and like you said, Carla, I wanted to be Teddy. Um, yes, Teddy did have problems. Of course, I didn't want to be the alcoholic part of Teddy, but, um, that was a part of who she was and it was part of what made her so great. I think I'm not saying like, it's great to be an alcoholic. I'm just saying like the, her overcoming that and, uh, um, a lot of her continued struggle with that. And I thought that was pretty realistically done. And I thought Cela Ward was so good in the role. Um, and I think I just want to highlight one episode really quickly and trigger warning for suicide. I think the episode where all the sisters get together and try to stop Georgie from killing herself because Georgie has decided she's going to kill herself and all the sisters are together and there's a scene where Teddy talks about a time where she almost killed herself and she talks about how she's. Um, she was planning on doing it. She's sitting there and then this show that she wanted to watch or a movie comes on and she's like, okay, well, I'll wait till this movie's over. And then the other movie came on that she wanted to see and I'll wait till that one's over. And, and she said somehow that was what kind of saved me and made me not kill myself was that I had this little tiny thing to look forward to. And I thought that was one of the most realistic ways of kind of talking about suicide when you're suicidal and how sometimes the littlest thing that you're not thinking of is what's going to get you out of it. And I also appreciated that what they did with that episode is having Georgie, who had been struggling with depression, for the first time seeming like she was better and happier. And that's the thing is when someone's to that point, they usually will become happier because they've made a decision. Um, and I think people don't quite understand that still to this day. So I appreciated that they did that with that episode. So I, I think about that episode a lot as someone who has struggled with being suicidal. Um, it was one of those episodes that just really hit home and w- seemed so real and seemed like whoever wrote it must have struggled with suicide themselves. And when Teddy talked about it, that was so honest. And you didn't really see, you don't really see a lot of honest talk about being suicidal I don't think still to this day. So I just wanted to give a shout out to that episode because I just really appreciated it. And I appreciated that it was so focused on the sisters and it was so focused on the women and you didn't 
really have any of the male characters. And I just really, really loved that episode. Um, okay, now I will swoon about George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> I've mentioned everybody knows I love George Clooney. I have loved George Clooney since Facts of Life. And he did the little head wobble, neck wobble in Facts of Life. It is a George Clooney trademark. And yes, it is one of those ticks that I think it definitely he got over it when he grew and became a better actor. Um, but his character, Falconer, was just so swoon worthy and so charming in the charming way that only George Clooney has. I mean, George Clooney has that old movie star charm to him. He just always has, even with his horrible haircut in facts of life, he still had that charm. <laughs> he still had that old movie star charm. That's just who George Clooney is. Um, and he, he plays off of it and makes fun of it and it makes him even more charming um, and I was so heartbroken when he died. And I remember I kept thinking, okay, be like a regular soap and he just comes back. And then of course there was that one episode where he came back as a ghost and it was just, that was even more heartbreaking. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, he's back. Oh, he's leaving again. And of course the big reason he left was to go do ER. And if he hadn't left and done that, you know, he wouldn't be the movie star that he is. Um, and someday we are going to do an episode on ER. <laughs> so... <laughs> Then that will really give me the opportunity to talk It'll about George Clooney. It'll be titled George Clooney and ER. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I always loved George Clooney, but ER and Sisters, I think, is really what made me really love George Clooney. <laughs> Can't <laughs> to say the point, you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to have um, a cutout of From Dusk Till Dawn where he's holding the gun. I had that right at the end of my bed because for some reason it was incredibly sexy to me to have George Clooney <laughs> pointing a gun at me while I'm in bed. <laughs> hey, we all have our thing. <laughs> but anyway, I just, I loved his character. I loved their chemistry. I thought their chemistry was incredible. I mean, Celia Ward and George Clooney are just, they're just fire together. Um, and he was so perfect for her. And I loved that they had banter when they first met because that's always one of my favorite things. And it was just so, so heartbreaking when he died. That was like just a punch to the gut and one of the saddest things that ever happened on the show. Um, but I do agree about adding that other sister. That was so ridiculous. And so many shows do that, and I don't yeah. know why you have to do that. It's like they feel like it's getting boring, so we have to add some new character. And it right. ruined then, so much. Yes, exactly. Like, what ends up happening is that you're ruining the family dynamic that you've set up mm -hmm. and worked so hard to achieve and maintain. You know, you set up this family as loving and the father as, like, you know, this idealized notion of what a father is. And then you bring in this other person, and that kind of undercuts so much of what we've come to love about the show mm -hmm. and it's and it's it's an absolute jump the shark kind of thing you know where you're ruining your own show for no good reason other than oh well we need something to shake things up and shake things up i feel like it's the most ridiculous thing ever because sometimes you just need to either end the show because it's reaches a natural conclusion mm -hmm. or bring in a different element that doesn't ruin the thing that the fans love. Like, why Why would you do this to us? Like, that's really the feeling 
that you end up coming away with as a fan is, you know, like you've re- really made this so difficult for me as a fan to continue to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. In fact, I think I kind of lost a lot of interest in the show when it happened um, because, and it also took away focus from the people you loved and cared about. And it's just, I hate it when shows do that because it's lazy. It's so lazy. There's so many other things you could do with the characters you have without bringing in some, con- I mean, it's so, I mean, yes, these are, they have soapy elements to them. And I understand you want to do a soap thing with it, but at the same time, it kind of undermines the whole show. Um, and it became even more lifetimey after that. Um, yeah. I would say so it was just yeah it kind of under undermined it a lot but but I will always love this show um I always I don't know I just I I used to have it on tape like VHS tapes and I would watch them over and over again especially the seasons with Falconer I've been pretty good I'm not like totally gushing completely <laughs> over them. Uh, <laughs> partially and that's it's very very um acceptable and decent good job <laughs> thank you <laughs> you know but i will always always love george clooney that's one of the actors that i'm so glad nothing has ever come out about him because i, know. I he's so crushed i want to keep it that way yes like, and please. i know he's, he isn't perfect and i know he could have some room for improvement in some of the stuff he does um you know as far as like in directing and doing more representation and stuff i know that he needs improvement there but i will always adore him and love him and <laughs> forever and ever <laughs> and i love his wife too i will i yes. want to say that too his <laughs> wife is incredible so <laughs> and this is because you're not a toxic fan so you appreciate Yes. And respect his <laughs> private life. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, just wait until we get to the ER episode and <laughs> I talk about Doug. Woo. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and plan on that being a three parter with two parts and a half being just about George Clooney. I mean, yeah. let's be realistic. Yep, yep, yep. I will say, I remember when that was on, and it was, of course, on with Friends was on, and so we'd watch Friends, and then we'd watch ER, and I remember we went to LA during some time when that was on, and we went on the Warner Brothers lot tour, and we saw, um, oh my God, what's his name? Noah Wiley, <laughs> and he was just biking around or walking around, we waved, and I'm like, please let us see George Clooney, please <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't. Sadly, oh, but no. I was like, maybe he's on here somewhere. He's on the same lot where I. <laughs> you know, when I went to college in in Miami, um, like my friends would often go to like the popular areas and whatever. Like I wouldn't because, oh, please, so many people. Um, <laughs> but one one day, my roommate came home very excited, and she was like, "Carla, oh my god, look at this!" And she shows me this piece of paper with an autograph on it i was like okay who is gojo cloy and she's like what that's george clooney and i was like if you say so because all i could read of it was gojo cloy i'm like who is gojo (laughs) cloy and this is you know like before um phones with cameras were were 
the big thing. Like I don't I think we had pagers at the time. Pagers. <laughs> so it's not like she could take a selfie with him so that so that I could actually believe her. I was like, okay. Whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> like enjoy your gojo cloy. Well, I'll oh, I'll bro. believe her and be jealous. <laughs> but <laughs> someday George Clooney will be on this podcast. Just kidding. <laughs> I, I think and really... Jason Ackles. Yes. Oh my God. I don't think I would be able to speak. <laughs> I would... <laughs> that would be the most embarrassing podcast. You would world. need people there with you to hold your hand so that you didn't fall apart. I, that's when I would need a script. I'd be like, okay, I'm just yes. going to focus on the script and not you two. <laughs> like, have them turn off their cameras. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing this without cameras, okay? <laughs> anyway, okay, well, we went off the rails. <laughs> what? On the segment about George Clooney? I mean, sisters? <laughs> I should have just titled that. George <laughs> Okay, so let's um, talk about the other two that I had on the list, Desperate Housewives and Grey's Anatomy. I've watched a little bit of Desperate Housewives, and I've watched maybe two episodes of Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) So these are ones I can't really speak too much to, um, so I'll let you talk about them, Carla. The one thing I will say with Desperate Housewives is I remember when I was out, and my sister was telling me, she's like, you've got to watch this show because there's this gardener on there. (laughs) She's like, I am so getting a gardener sometime. <laughs> That's pretty much all she said. That's really all she said about the show. So what are your thoughts on Desperate Housewives? You know, I loved that show so much. At least in the beginning. Later on, it, it just got away from me. And I don't want to say it became too un- unrealistic because it wasn't realistic to begin with. But it was... The thing that I loved about it so much is that it treated women over the age of 30 as still interesting and valuable. Um, So, you know, because in in so many TV shows, kind of your life ends at 30. And if you have a life after 30, it revolves around just, you know, being a spouse or being a parent. And this show, you know, there was a lot of, of that, but there was also sexiness and drama and thrills and intrigue in a way that I don't think had really been um, done for that particular age group of women in the past. Um, And there, there was like a lot of overt sexiness in it, which I thought was really great because that's when the whole, you know, uh, the thirties, the new 20 started being a thing you're seeing these depictions of these women who don't stop being attractive or interesting because they're, you know, they're no longer 25. Um, They're interesting people over the top for sure, but still interesting. And I just, I I was so captivated by it. It was a lot of fun to watch. Um, like any show, pretty much it had like its problematic elements and things where, you know, in retrospect, you're like, oh, I don't know why I did I like the show so much. But I think the reason that I did was because it treated women as as people with agency over their own lives and bodies. Um, there were also some really great comedy elements 
that I thought hadn't really been explored with women because uh, a lot of the times the comedy that the comedy that women are allowed to portray is either more nuanced, which is, you know, nothing against that. But in the show, there were, there was like so much physical comedy and so much just nuttiness going on. Like Terry Hatcher, I think in one of the early episodes, she's like hiding fully naked behind a bush and like she had tumbled out of a window or something like that. And it was just so funny. And I, I love that, that they're allowed to be just very silly, very over the top while still being really hot. Like, like, you know, I feel like in so many shows, if somebody is, um, has great physical comedy, they're also painted to be unattractive. And these women were not, you know, and there was also like so much over the top seduction. And it was great to see that they're, they're the ones leading the seducing and not, not always for evil ends. There were just, you know, sometimes that was, but <laughs> not always. And of course, there's the fact that one of the, the main cast members is a Latina. And it was in everything that had to do with her. But at the same time, it wasn't like this overriding theme where, um, because one thing that I appreciate when there is representation of Latinas on screen is that one they are um there's there's nothing hidden about their latinaness but it's also not the center of their story like it, it doesn't have to be an immigration horror story you know it, it doesn't have to be like you know your your mother and your grandmother have to live with you because they're about to get deported to somewhere it, it's she's a latina and she's also part of the intrigue and that's just she's just living her life which I really loved, but yeah, it was, it was just a really fun show to watch. And then, um, Grace Anatomy, you had the, it was captivating first of all, because of the diversity of the cast and the diversity also behind the cast. It's a fun show to watch. It's very soapy, very dramatic, very over the top in a lot of ways. But there was also just like this this big undercurrent of of humanity mm-hmm. that ran under it that that was just really lovely and very touching. Particularly in the first few seasons, like after that, it just it became too much of a scramble of people running in and out, and you know, it just it lost my interest. But I mean, there's a reason why it's 15 seasons in, you know, because <laughs> people are still captivated by it. But that first core cast had such good chemistry and I thought that they were really amazing together. There was a lot of really good storytelling going on. And I also thought that it was great that when it was pointed out that Isaiah Thomas was being homophobic and pretty much abusive, that he was taken out. Which I think a lot of shows fail to do that when there's when there are accusations of of abuse like that. Um, also, I, I, you know, Catherine Heigl is a big point to talk about in Grey's Anatomy because 
yeah, she was Izzy Stevens. Izzy Stevens was this sweet little, you know, um, kind of like innocent little thing. And she had an interesting backstory. She had also ghost sex with the future <laughs> I heard about John that. Winchester. Yeah, which was super weird. <laughs> but it was like odd. But I also think that that it's just like we were talking about Shannon Doherty with behind the scenes talk and how that may have affected her career and all of that. I also think that with Katherine Heigl, her consequences as it pertains to the show and her being written out of it were absolutely justified because she is somebody who was very vocal about things that she didn't like, but there's nothing wrong with being vocal about things that you don't like when it is an actual offense or an abuse. But in this case, she was just being a brat because Mm -hmm. she wanted to be in movies. So they rearranged the schedule around her so that she could have the freedom to pursue a movie career on top of being Grey's Anatomy. And I remember she was on a, on a late night show and she said, "Um, I'm going to say this and I hope it embarrasses them that they had us working until however many late hours. And it was like, oh my, I can't believe it. And then it comes out that it, it's because they needed to get all of her shots in so that she could then take the time off to go and do a movie. So she wants to have it both ways. And they're being very gracious in, in doing what they can for her. And then she just speaks poorly of of the production. So I, I think, honestly, that's one of those cases where she got... What, what she deserved but now as far as the show itself like i said it was very interesting and i loved like i said the chemistry between that first core group and i will i will always be sad that christina yang was no longer part of the of the core group of doctors because she brought so much to the table she was one of my favorite characters and you know i, I don't necessarily aspire to be the kind of driven that she was because it was like a very scary kind of driven for me. (laughs) Like I was like, Oh, I don't know that I could ever be that focused or want to be that, that driven, but I really admired it in her. And I thought that, um, that Sandra, Oh, really, Oh, she just stands out in everything, everything that she's in. And she really had my jaw on the floor constantly with her, with her acting on Grace Anatomy. Um, Chandra Wilson, who plays um, Bailey, was another standout for me because she's she's this tiny little woman who commands your attention with just a look. And it, 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 I, I think in, in a cast that talented, to be able to do that, to just walk in and you're in command of the situation and all eyes are on you and you can't take your eyes off of somebody, even when Sandra Oh is in the scene, that says a lot about the quality of Chandra Wilson's acting. It, it just like, oh. <laughs> but um, as far as the storyline, story like, you know, there's just too much to <laughs> really talk about. And a lot of it doesn't make any sense. I'm not really interested in a lot of it. I was really there mostly for the chemistry. I, I really, I couldn't help but love those first few, first few seasons. Um and, you know, like the whole thing with McDreamy, McSteamy, and, like, whatever. I was like, okay, cool. You know, like, I love Patrick Dempsey. He's hot. Okay. I, I'm glad that I get to see him in a in a show. Like, go him. Uh, but it was really, for me, about the 
these these people who are just coming in and really starting to to try to make their way in this world. Um, there was also this one particular episode that will always be a standout to me with, um, my God, what is his name? He was on Friday Night Lights. Um, I can, I'll look it up here. Let's see. Thank you. Was was he like a main person in Friday yeah, Night? Yeah, he, he was the main person. He, was he Kyle Chandler? Thank you. Yes. Okay. So this one episode with Kyle Chandler, and Kyle Chandler, I fell in love with when he was in a show previously, um, and it was about a show about this guy who gets the the next day's newspaper, so he has like an insight into oh, what's going to yes. happen. Yeah, that was a great yes. show, mm-hmm. and I, I I loved him in it. And oh my god, I was so upset when it was canceled, but. Anyway, so he has this little guest guest role in Grey's Anatomy in one of the early seasons. And what happens is that somebody comes in and there's a bomb in their body. So a bomb squad comes in and they're trying to, like, take the bomb out and defuse it in such a way that it's not going to, like, kill everybody. And, um, you know, Dr. Grey's in there with him. And so she's caught up in this and, like, she might die. And of course, you know, she's not because it's Grace Anatomy and they're not yeah. going to kill her off <laughs> right away anyway. And you're you're watching this and it's tense, but it's also beautifully acted. And Kyle Chandler, he brings so so much humanity to any role that he plays. He's just like, he just seems like a really salt of the earth kind of guy. And you relate to him immediately. It's not just because he's super beautiful. It's also because he's just a really damn good actor. And in the end, he's walking away with the bomb in his hands. And it blows up in his hands and he's he's doing that to keep everybody else safe. And it's such an emotional moment and you don't even know what to do with yourself self afterwards. You just and, and towards the the end after that, because Meredith is just sprayed with blood everywhere and her friends take her to clean her because she's in she's in shock. So you have this beautiful moment of these friends coming together to support their friend as she's processing all of this awful trauma um so there are so many great merits to watching early grace anatomy at least i wouldn't watch past the first few seasons but that's just me obviously people have otherwise it wouldn't be in as far as it, as it is mm-hmm. um but i i just i really there were so many things that that stuck with me from those early seasons that i i was very glad that i made the time to watch as far as I did. Yeah, that's one of my sister's shows, Grey's Anatomy. My sister loves that show. Um, And I don't know why I never got into it. I know I watched the first few. And with Katherine Heigl, what's interesting is I know she started that right after Roswell ended, which, of course, she was in Roswell. Um, And she is someone who she says all these things and makes herself seem like she's speaking out and, you know, fighting for people and doing all this stuff when she's really not, she's really all about herself. That's the way yeah. she comes across. She's very and, self-serving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. She's, you know, she talks about how it, her role in knocked up, for instance, she is, all, she's put that down a lot and said she didn't like the way that movie was with women. And no matter what your opinions are in the way that movie was with women, it's funny to me that she says that. And yet with her production team and with her mom, who she works with her mom a lot, she makes all these movies that are not very flattering to women. <laughs> Honestly. No, it's, it's a pure hypocrisy <laughs> with her. Like, yeah, 
she likes what she likes. And I mean, frankly, if she hated it, because I, I doubt that they handed her this very feminist script and she was like, oh, yes. And then signs up for it and everything magically changes. I mean, yeah. like it's a Judd Apatow movie. <laughs> I really doubt that that's what happened. So to me, it's like, okay, it didn't serve your end goals. And so you decided to put it down. Just keep your mouth shut then. Like make, make better choices in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just was so annoying to me. I don't know. That just that was one of the things that really rubbed me the wrong way about her. I'm like, it's not like you're making these films that are any better. I mean, it's like, <laughs> and, and I, I personally, I love Knocked Up. So I, I, you know, I understand issues with Judd Apatow movies. I do, but I personally like Knocked Up. I personally love Forty Year Old Virgin. So you know. So, but I, but at the same time, it's like, if you're going to insult them for that, then don't go and actively pursue things that are the exact, that are, in my opinion, worse in some aspects of them. So, I mean, like that awful movie, she did that ugly truth movie or whatever. I mean, oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. It's just, yeah, yeah. And one time, though, we will have to, I want to speak a little bit about Shonda Rhimes really quickly. Yeah. Because she is someone very important, I think, that we should talk about. I mean, I watched Scandal. So even though Scandal would drive me nuts. And that was the show that made me love Scott Foley. So I'll just say that. <laughs> Deem myself from earlier. Uh, yeah. So Scandal was one of those that, you know. It was it was almost on the level of a soap in a way too. I don't know if you ever watched Scandal. Did you I watch Scandal? No. Yeah, that's that's it's fun. It is infuriating. It's <laughs> Carrie Washington is um, you know, she's a force to be reckoned with in that show. She's so incredible, and her wardrobe is the most enviable thing in the world. I mean, I could never look like she does in that but oh my god the stuff she wears and I've never thought of popcorn as being like this gourmet meal but the way she eats popcorn and drinks wine it's like <laughs> it's like she's <laughs> at a restaurant I don't know there's something about the way she does it that makes it I don't know really glamorous <laughs> it's like the Kerry Washington magic Yes, I think that's what it is. I'm like, I could never eat popcorn and look like that because I'd be like, oh, my God. Number one, <laughs> but I'd also be like, oh, there's something stuck in my tooth. And, <laughs> and the wine would not be as glamorous as it is when she does it. But yeah, yeah. But but yeah, do you have any thoughts you want to add about Shonda Rhimes or what she's done or the impact of her in television and stuff? Just the overall impact, because I, I think she's really brought a lot of of amazing characters into the, the TV landscape. And I mean, it, it there's no mention of Shonda Rhimes without mentioning the fact that she has brought Black stories to the forefront and has really brought Black actors to the forefront in a way that hasn't been done previously. And I think that she's an absolute force of nature, a fascinating person. And I think that there's a lot of, um, a lot of change and progress that's been made thanks to the stories that she has put on the, on the screen. And I, I, I don't think that uh, the landscape of television would be the same without her influence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I totally, totally agree. 
um, yeah, it's, it's amazing what she has done. And, um, you know, like I said, scandal can be infuriating and drive you nuts, but it's pretty incredible that you had, um, Carrie Washington playing the character that Carrie Washington played and how powerful that character was and how strong she was. Joe Morton. Oh my gosh. As he Rowan is Pope. amazing. Ooh, he was so incredible. I was like, that's going to drive me nuts if I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> he was so great. And um, just all the different characters you had in that show. And um, I never actually finished it. It's weird because I was watching it. I'd watch it and I'd be like, why do I still watch this show? It drives me nuts. I think it's really honestly the power of Carrie Washington <laughs> and yeah. Olivia Pope. That's the power of Olivia Pope. But that's I the thing. There's so much to be said for for magnetism and charisma because there are so many shows that would not have gone as far as they did if not for a particular actor or a particular ensemble yeah 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 and i think didn't and shonda rhymes and i, I don't know if any of her the sh- oh well of course bridgerton i keep forgetting that's a that's shonda right rhymes, right yes um because i know she inked that big deal with netflix and stuff and that's pretty incredible yeah. um and i didn't really we're going to be talking about viola davis here soon and um of course there's how to get away with murder which i watched just the first season of that but i'm gonna have to watch more of that before um tiffany and i talk about viola davis because of course she's just she's like 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 some other actresses we've mentioned like carrie washington and other actresses it's just that power that she has to command the screen um you know her few minutes in doubt that just stole the whole show from Meryl Streep, who is another commanding actress. Um, yeah. So anyway, sorry, I was just looking through here and I saw, and I went, Oh yeah. How to get away with murder. I always forget. That was also, she like owned ABC night was Pretty like much, Shonda yeah. Rhimes night. And wasn't there another show that she did that lasted one season? Yes, oh, it was I pretty don't remember recently. The name of it, but yeah. I can't remember it, but anyway, um, yeah, and like I like I said, I didn't really watch Desperate Housewives that much. Um, I did like Terry Hatcher until I learned she's really probably not that nice of a person in real life. Right. <laughs> but I liked her character in that, and I also really loved her in Lois and Clark, which of course is awful because Dean Cain is scum. Oh, he's awful, yes. But <laughs> – and of course, Felicity Huffman is also – icky so yeah. <laughs> all these people you learn about anyway, anyway um but this has been a lot of fun i've enjoyed talking about this i think this is a lot more laid back conversation and sometimes those are fun to have um yeah. and now i want to go watch some of these shows i really want to go find <laughs> sister honestly That's yeah, that was, like i already put it into my chrome tabs because i'm like i need to find out where i can watch this please I know. I, I don't know where because I don't have those videotapes and I don't have a VCR anyway. So, right. Um, um, okay. So we'll go ahead and close out. And Carla, if you want to say where you and your podcast can be found. Yes. Thank you. Um, Meg and I have a podcast called Bed, Wet, or Behead, which you can find on your favorite podcast finding platforms. Um, it is basically FMK with character analysis in it and a lot of judgment and wine. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter, primarily at BedWetBeheadPod. We're also on Instagram and Facebook, but let's face it, you know, like I live on Twitter, so that's more my natural home. (laughs) 
yeah, that's the way I am with our podcasting is I'm on Twitter <laughs> tweeting all the time. And that's why I got someone to do the Instagram. I'm like, oh, you're volunteering to do this. Thank you. I love you. <laughs> exactly. Um, and this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at eAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any feedback, any show notes, feel free to email us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And on our next episode, and we've already recorded this, and Carla is on this one as well, and as well as Sarah, we are going to be doing a deep dive into the new movie, Promising Young Woman. And it's a really, really good conversation. I think it's one of the best episodes we have done to date. So, and we could have done another two hours, frankly. <laughs> so, For sure. uh, yes, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to people hearing that one. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.